0: well coach prime is at colorado and uh he brings a lot of personality to the table what sort of impact does that have on the pac-12 recruiting landscape well let's go locked on pac-12 your daily podcast on the pac-12 conference it's the locked on podcast network your team every day Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Lockdown Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with our beloved Conference of Champions. Please continue to like, comment, subscribe wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Also, want to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official recruiting sponsor here at the Locked On College network and that's why we bring on john garcia jr our recruiting insider here at the locked on network and john i mean it's just recruiting is just a non-stop affair but nowhere more so is that true than in the realm of Dion sanders because that is just it's recruiting galore with Deion there. great to have you back on the show
1: yeah, good, yeah timing good timing there, Spencer. It's it's exciting. Only Deion Sanders can pull buzz away from the transfer portal opening to historic numbers. Only Dion can do that. So yeah, incredibly fitting for us to talk a lot about him today. And hey, we're talking Colorado football recruiting, not something we talk about every day. So that in and of itself, part of the reason why this was a monster hire for that administration.
0: It absolutely is. I think it's the biggest reason why it's such a huge hire because you could find someone who's got the schematics to, you know, win games at Colorado. But if you can't bring in the sort of talent you need, then that's not going to be as much of a help as Buffs fans would perhaps like. Later, we're also going to talk about Michael Penix returning to Washington. But we start with Coach Prime and John, what is the recruiting potential here? I mean, it feels, you know, with the immediacy of this and it having been. You know, completed just less than a week ago. It it has the feel of like, man, could they be a top five, top 10 recruiting class? I don't know if you can get to that level, but what is the recruiting potential for Colorado with Deion Sanders at the helm?
1: It's higher than we've ever tracked Colorado in the modern era. And that dates back to 2000, 2001, when the internet recruiting era began with Rivals and some of the other websites that we're covering the entirety of the process. So what that means is, yeah, they're gonna threaten top 25, something that I don't have the numbers in front of me, they haven't sniffed in a very, very long time. And then on on the front end of it, at the top of each commitment class, they're going to hit a higher caliber of recruit. Just look back at last cycle at Jackson State, not one, but two SI 99 recruits jumped on board, of course, including the number one player in the country, Travis Hunter. Only 12 schools sign more SI-99 recruits than Jackson State. Again, only 12 schools sign more top-level players than Dion did at Jackson State. Imagine what he can do at any FBS, much less Power 5 school. Now we're thinking of the coaches he's bringing in. This isn't just, hey, I'm going to bring all my JSU guys with me. No, he's brought a national coaching staff to colorado including a group of five head coach and sean lewis as the offensive coordinator as well as several other notable and known power five recruiters as his additional assistant. so in one regard it's all about dion but on the other it's not all about dion this is a group of coaches that is going to put together a national recruiting class at colorado year in year out so you will have a shot at the top 25 and moreover you're going to have a higher ceiling for the individual recruiting wins than we've ever seen in the modern era at colorado because dion knows how to do a couple things that are so in line with this era right branding monetization nil just publicity and exposure All of those encompass Deion Sanders wherever he goes. He has the credibility of being literally the greatest of all time at the cornerback position and maybe the greatest of all time at the self-promotion and marketing well before NIL was ever coined as a term. So he brings his own cachet to everything that he does, and that will help Colorado recruit in that same light.
0: Last time, John, I was uh, looking it up just now that Colorado had a top 20 class. They pulled in the 15th best high school recruiting class in 2008. It has been 14 years. By the time the 2023 cycle comes in, we'll see. Where where it finishes. And I think that'll be a, a really fascinating thing to to follow along and see like what he can do in year one. Because they, they had a lot of guys committed, even when Carl Durrell was was still in place as the head coach. And a lot of those guys stayed committed even after he left, which is pretty unique in the recruiting landscape. Usually a coaching change indicates you're going to have a, a mass exodus of sorts, which is understandable because they committed to play for uh, a particular head coach who's no longer there. But in the last 10 years, they've had two classes that have cracked the top 40, but they've also had several that are outside the top 60 in in, in the national rankings, uh, according to 24-7. So I, I'm fascinated to see what he can do because I'm with you. He's an amazing self-promoter. Like He, he is a brand in it of himself. And he has made he has made the national college football media infrastructure landscape talk about Colorado. And they had no reason to do that. And now even next year, and it's such a great move for the Pac-12, because now even if Colorado isn't good in year one, people still want to watch because it's prime because coach prime is there. And even if Colorado improves next year, which they should, let's say they go three and nine is there going to be a more interesting three and nine team in all of college football than Colorado? Are they going to pull an upset? What sort of players are they going to have? How are they going to look? What's it going to be like for the future? And and that sort of exposure, as you know, very well, John, having covered recruiting for, for over a decade now is crucial to get on players radar. And Colorado this year was a team that typically because of the season they were having got stashed on the PAC 12 network. And so, That's not getting you as much exposure as playing nationally televised games. But now I feel like Colorado is a more appealing team to put on national TV, even if they're not very good.
1: People were putting Jackson State on national television.
0: They got game day. I watched game day.
1: Of course, the game day, multiple games on ESPN, multiple games on ESPN plus he brought that to an FCS HBCU program that hadn't won more than five games in like 10 years, right? And by the way, let's also reemphasize that the man can coach. Uh, JSU was undefeated this year, SWAC champs. Two losses last year, SWAC champs. So he has hit the ceiling of what he could do on the field at Jackson State despite the pressure, despite the spotlight, despite people in his conference kind of coming after him. Throughout his tenure there at, at JSU, there was a robbery uh, in the locker room last year. I mean, there's been so many circumstances surrounding him that could have easily, for a guy who doesn't need the money, he could have said, no, I'm good. But he's he's dug his heels into it, and now he's elevated to, to the Power Five level, and it's going to be the most talked about hire of the offseason no matter what, which, again, in and of itself is worth it from the Colorado perspective, even if the winning takes a little bit more time uh, to, to see on the field.
0: I have a I have another very interesting question to ask you about uh, Deion Sanders because he can elevate Colorado's recruiting profile. I think we all agree there. But just what sort of players can they target, and should other schools be worried? Mm-hmm be, but first we talk to you, of course, about Bet Online, your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline is where the game starts. So, John, here's another question for other Pac-12 fan bases listening to this show. Particularly, I'm thinking of the USC's, the Oregon's, the Washington's of the world that we've seen recruit consistently at a top 20 to top 10 level. To achieve that ranking in recruiting— You have to have a lot of high-level players. USC right now, they've got Zach Branch. They've got Malachi Nelson. Those are their headliners. If you look at Oregon, they've got Dante Moore. They've got Jurion Dickey. You need those sorts of players. Even if at first it takes Colorado a little while to build up the recruiting base to have that sort of level, could Coach Prime do what he did at Jackson State and get a big-time player like that? Like, How worried should other schools be that big targets now have a legitimate recruiting threat to deal with in Colorado with Deion Sanders?
1: They should absolutely be worried because there's there's this cachet that comes with high-level recruits where there's an assumption like, okay, 57 Power 5 schools offered this kid. That's very rare. Oftentimes with elite recruits, there's almost a, a curve that is hit, uh, an apex in recruiting to where, Once it's Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, USC, Texas, Clemson, etc., the next group doesn't even come in with offers because now you, you don't have a ceiling to potentially grab that recruit. Now Colorado will play into that. Dion has already shown us in his first, what, week on the job, not even, they've offered a billion prospects committed to other schools, including the number one OT in Caden Proctor, bunch of the top transfer portal targets they've already landed commitments in three different ways portal junior college and high school already so this is without a coaching staff so i think that everybody's going to have to contend with dion it doesn't mean you're not going to beat him uh because i do think the elite recruits are still going to go for the most part to these these banner schools but in the pac-12 and beyond the ambition of a Deion Sanders-led program will lead them to offer every elite recruit. So you only have to pluck a few of those to really gain traction. And again, I go back to last cycle, two SI-99 recruits that were pegged elsewhere ended up at Jackson State. Travis Hunter was a near two-year commitment to Florida State, Deion's alma mater, by the way. Kevin Coleman, the receiver, was the St. Louis kid that everybody thought was going to end up at either Miami or Florida State. He ends up at Jackson State instead. So I do think that's going to become more common under Deion Sanders. Doesn't mean you'll get everybody, but you're going to go after everybody. And that's part of the reason why this is such a big deal, because the ambition and the boldness of the team in Boulder is going to be something that we are talking about more now than ever before.
0: With the transfer portal being such an integral part of college football now and such a advantage for coaches like Coach Prime, Lincoln Riley, Kalen DeBoer, Chip Kelly uses the portal quite, quite a bit. Oregon had a, a lot of notable additions this year. What do you think the balance is going to be with, with the expected recruiting success because of the appeal of Coach Prime? What do you think the balance is going to be between landing high school recruits? who are you know, maybe a year or two away from contributing and being able to just add an, a massive influx of kids in the portal?
1: I think it'll be 50-50 in principle, but probably more portal-laden in execution just because of the timeline, right? It's December 7th as we record this. Uh, December 21st is the early signing period where 80% of the top recruits will come off the board. How much time for visits? How much time for true effort from that Dion coaching staff are they going to have for those high school recruits. So because of that, I do feel like the portal which really has no end point in terms of when you have to make a decision, that's going to allow more flexibility for prospects to enter that that Colorado stratosphere. And obviously, Jackson State's got a whole roster of pretty darn good players that are going to have that cachet attached to them from a recruiting standpoint. I think they had 10 or less verbal commitments at Jackson State. So even there, the plan seemed to be a little bit more portal-laden than high school-laden. It's never the same when you go to a new school, but it's always in the same light. So I do think it'll it'll be 50-50 in principle, but we'll see a little bit more portal influx from Dion this time around, and then maybe go 50-50 thereafter. But either way, it's, it's almost viewed one in the same. We're, we're going to start ranking recruiting classes with the high school and the portal players together, and that is the list where you should expect to see Dion and Colorado ranked much higher than just the high school list that we're used to seeing the same schools at the top of.
0: Yeah, and I think 24 seven sports is already doing, has already been doing that for for the last few years. They have a, a high school composite rank, a transfer portal rank, and then an overall kind of combination of the two. And, and I do wonder what that means for schools like Stanford, who still has to hire a head coach, like Cal like you know Washington state that are just not capable i think Oregon state in that conversation as well of you, you don't have the sort of ability to add big time players typically the way some of these other schools do i think Ari- the Arizona schools i think Utah they're kind of somewhere in between though Utah's profile certainly continues to, to elevate and such but it's it's very interesting and we just there's so much to it. And every time you think like, oh, yeah, no, that's all the transfer portal means. And you're like, well, what about this? Huh? What about that? And, and the ability for, for teams to just uh, reload. Uh, speaking of which, John, when talking about the transfer portal, there are the players who go in. And there are the players who we think might go in and then discuss their potential destinations. And a big announcement came down recently in the Pac-12. That Michael Penix is going to return to Washington next season. I was surprised by that move because for a guy who has an injury history and finally got to stay healthy this year, which like good for that dude. I mean, that's just going through rehab over and over again, you do it for a season like the one they've had in in Montlake this year. And he announces he's coming back, even though he's healthy, he leads the country in passing, and his NFL draft stock seemingly couldn't get higher unless maybe he leads Washington to a Pac-12 championship game, Rose Bowl, or playoff berth, whatever they, they could accomplish next season. But waiting in the wings is another lefty quarterback, and, you know, personally, I think if you have two lefty quarterbacks on the roster, I think you have to throw salt over your shoulder, spin around three times and jump <laughs> up and down before the bad luck starts to come. You know, that's it's just anything. Anyway, um, what happens now? Let, let, let's start. Let's start with Michael Penix. That is a a ground shifting announcement for for the Huskies and for the Pac-12, because Kalen Nabor's offense, and he's been very open about this, is very quarterback centric. So if you have a guy who can execute at a high level, we're seeing the results of that this year. They'll have receivers back. Their, their offensive line has been excellent this year. But what was your reaction to the announcement of Penix returning? Because I look at it and go, yeah, that that's a Pac-12 title contender, and we know that right now.
1: Same reaction that I had. Uh, that offense uh, was electrified by Michael Penix. Not only in his consistency, but his willingness to push the ball down the field. I mean, as pretty a deep ball as as it gets in in all of college football, it kept Washington in games where it felt like they were overmatched from a talent perspective. So those those margin closers are are always important in college football. And when we judge the next year of college football it what does it start it starts with what we know it starts with the quarterback position it starts with the coaches who we know are going to have elevated and exciting offenses so yeah washington will be a pack 12 contender from the jump and that position is solidified throughout the year which is not the same we could say at oregon not the same we could say i don't know how much more eligibility rising has at utah i don't know if we could say that there um usc we could probably say that with caleb williams but with the other contenders you uh, ucla can't say that same thing so that gives them such a leg up in just the preparation and eventual execution of the offense in 2023 uh but it also creates a couple more questions
0: It galvanized the locker room, certainly. There were videos flying around about his teammates and coaches and the community reacting, and everyone was, of course, happy. How could you not be? Like, nation's leading passer. Looked like he was primed to go to the NFL. Instead, here he comes back to the college ranks. But as you mentioned, John, it presents a very legitimate question now. That other lefty I alluded to is not some random left-handed quarterback that I made a, a jab about because he is a you know, non-traditional handedness and whatnot. It's Sam Heward. It's Sam Heward, the former five-star who has barely played in his Husky career. And now the question remains. And, and someone asked me this and I had it as well. Like, wow, it seemed like this was kind of a stopgap for Penix, get a new environment up your draft stock. It was riding high, but now Sam Heward has to be sitting there and going, well, you know that Penix is going to get the job back. There's no possibility, even if Sam Heward is good, you don't have two guys on the same roster capable of leading the country in passing. That's not a thing. Only reason Heward, it looks like, could see the field next year in a major way is if, God forbid, Michael Penix gets injured. So what do you make of Sam Heward just just sitting there and this is the transfer portal era, John, if he went in the portal... Oregon State would call, Cal would call, other Power 5 schools would be, hey, what's going on? What do you think happens now with Sam Huard?
1: Well, certainly all the Washington loyalty will be challenged, right? He already survived the coaching change. In terms of sticking with UW, uh, he uh, was, I guess, okay with being the backup in 2022. Two Pennix. And now he's faced with the same thing for 23, which means eligibility wise, he would only have two years as the guy if he elevated after Michael Penix finally departs uh, UW. In the era of look at me and NIL and instant gratification, and all that stuff, is that is that even possible, <laughs> right? Can someone stick around that long? We We don't typically see it. Uh, in this space and at that position it's it's almost looked at as just business it's not even personal in that regard if he jumped in the portal before the end of this podcast you know people would be like okay that makes sense uh so it's gonna it's gonna be a lot for him uh I, i think he will have to rely on his own growth and and kind of the overall plan and his patience will, of course, now be tested more than it ever has. That said, a ton of ties to Washington. Again, picked the program and survived a coaching change, knew he was going to be the backup this year. and And after that battle was clear. Conceded and remained on the roster. He could have hit the portal, you know, a, a year ago at this point as well. Didn't happen. So I do think there is this factor of loyalty with Hewitt at Washington. But at the same time, I want to know what the kid has. I want to know what what he can do as the trigger man because he was one of the top quarterbacks coming out in 2021 with the likes of the Caleb Williams of the world. And now, in theory, he will not be the starter at a major program before Caleb Williams is in the NFL, so that timeline doesn't always work for quarterbacks. And uh, I'm—I don't know—I don't know. I think I think we got to keep an eye on this one right now and probably into the future after spring ball as well.
0: I think the the family ties to the school and the program surviving the coaching change in terms of keeping there, as you mentioned, are things that work in Washington's favor. If you're a Husky fan listening to or watching this and you're thinking, well, you know, Penix is back for one more year, that's great, but you have to have an option going forward. And there are schools who have, you know, come after uh, Lincoln Keenholz. Uh Did I pronounce, I think I pronounced his name, his name, right. Um, but I know Ohio State was, was, you know, poking around on that particular front. And mm-hmm it's just the nature of college football. You always have an eye on the future. You know, what's next? Like this is now, but what's, what's, what's coming after that. And that's why we talk about recruiting and all that sort of stuff. And I think the institutional loyalty has to give you some optimism if you're Washington, because if this were a different player who didn't have that sort of tie, or if Sam Heward was at a different school, he'd probably already be in the transfer portal. Right. I mean, like, like look at, you know, Ty Thompson down at Oregon, I think most Duck fans are surprised that he isn't in the portal yet, but the guy who he was kind of competing with for the number two slot, Jay Butterfield, is in the portal. So that's probably why he he hangs around there. But I, I think you just look around and say, well, if Sam Heward were not in the Pac-12 right now here at Wisconsin, and, you know, they kept a really good – well, that's not realistic because Wisconsin will never lead the nation in passing. But I, <laughs> I think if um, – if he were somewhere else, you'd say, yeah, it's a prime candidate for it, but you just don't know how strong that, that tie to Washington is. But if he did go in the portal, John, all the schools that I mentioned and several others at the Power Five level would, would shoot him a message, try to get in touch with him. If I'm Oregon State, I would, I'd go get him in a millisecond.
1: Yeah, I mean, think of the jobs that just changed hands in college football. Most of them are are now laden by offensive coaches, uh, and I think that will be the case for those that are, are still somewhat in flux. The quarterback position defines the portal. It defines how we view these teams going into the season. Uh, that instability, if you will, at the position just creates so much movement that, yeah, even in an, a, a cycle where we have – DJ Uyunglele and Devin Leary and Spencer Sanders and some darn good experienced quarterbacks available, the arm talent, the bloodlines, that trajectory and the eligibility remaining of a Sam Heward would absolutely be intriguing for programs, as you said, not only in the Pac-12, but well beyond.
0: Fun stuff, as always, with John Garcia, Jr., our recruiting insider here at the Locked On Podcast Network. John, thank you for joining. Love the discussions, as always. Oh, my gosh. I love this. I love this time of year. Like, I love the season, but then right after the season, right? Dust has not settled. Players can still move. It's all exciting. We'll continue to cover it and bring on my guy, John. Thanks, man.
1: Always a pleasure, Spencer. Thanks for having me.
0: I appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day.